Today, we have a great Key to Culture podcast for you. We have two fantastic guests, Rachel Connerly and Tim Kelly, and they are going to explain and break down the nuances and powers of the collaborative operating system. They are going to talk about such things as explicit versus implicit and ownership and alignment on teams and organizations. Rachel is a management consultant who does fantastic work with the Collaborative Leaders, Inc., and Tim Kelly coaches executives and leaders, and he also does a lot of work with teams and leaders about true purpose and finding their purpose in business and in life. So with no further ado, let's get to the podcast. Welcome to the Key to Culture podcast, a show that explores the sometimes unseen forces that animate, connect, and unleash thriving companies and teams. You're listening to the Key to Culture podcast, exploring vital energy and life force at work with Tom Kelly. Welcome to the Key to Culture podcast. I'm very excited to have as my two guests, the first two guest podcasts we've had, Rachel Connerly and Tim Kelly. And I'm going to ask uh, Rachel to to start us off with just giving a little background on how you came to this to this work and dovetail when you met Tim and however we want to do it. But yeah, if you can start us off, Rachel, that'd be great. Welcome. Yeah, thank you, Tom. It's good to be here. Um, well, I came to this work disillusioned. You know, I, I thought I was pretty good at what I did. I was a good trainer, uh, worked in the leadership development and management development field. <clears throat> did off-site strategic planning retreats, all kinds of work for my clients, but they were not becoming more sustainable. They weren't becoming more self-sufficient. And um, there was one particular day I was cleaning up in a client's boardroom after a successful strategic planning event, and I just uttered these words to myself. Uh, those words were, I need a new theology for my work. And those were not words that I was accustomed to uttering. So I knew something was up. <clears throat> and my quest began the next day. And uh, that was back in like 2005. And I've been kind of at it ever since. More specifically, I remember saying to myself, every client I have is going to need 20 years of rigorous therapy before they'll be able to work collaboratively in a system. So. Uh, that began a, a great journey, and Tim was one of the first people to take the first iteration of my training. And when the training was complete, Tim stood up and he said, do you have any idea what you've done here? And I said, no, tell me. And he said, this is a full-on replacement for hierarchy. And then he handed me six pages of single-spaced notes. They were all feedback. And I basically told him, like, I need you to help me teach this if, if this is going to go anywhere. So we started and we were training CEOs and uh, consultants and individual contributors, all kinds of, you know, frontline people, everybody. Um, we were off and running. Yeah, it was just a really a great, great match. And I credit Tim with helping me get this off the ground and making it more coherent, Tom, just making it more crisp and clean and sensible and systematic. I'll let Tim say something now. Thanks, Rachel. Yeah, I'd say uh, for me, Tom, my original incentive was 
I was working at Oracle Corporation and um, it's actually also simultaneously in the Navy Reserve and climbing my way up through the ranks in both. And there was kind of two factors that led me in this direction. One was my general dissatisfaction with kind of working inside corporate culture. Uh, a lot of reorgs, a lot of decisions that I was at the effect of and didn't really have a chance to influence, but was expected to swallow and implement. Fair bit of chaos that I've since then as a consultant working with corporations have come to see as fairly common. <laughs> People having to like, you know, suck it up and deal with stuff that they really don't like, really don't agree with, or don't understand, or a whole long list of things like that. And so that led me in, uh, in kind of an internal direction because I realized that just moving to another company wasn't going to fix that. And so I was, I had gotten myself up to two levels below Larry Ellison and realized that going higher wasn't going to make me happier. So that kind of got stuck in my brain for a long time after that. What do I do with that? And I went into business myself as a consultant, but still didn't have a solution to the problem. And I would hear people, the other fact was I would hear people complaining about hierarchy or the patriarchy or, you know, business or government or these kinds of things and, and how it worked. And on the one hand, I really understood what they were saying. Yes, I, I, I see your complaint. But on the other hand, my question was, what do you propose as an alternative? Like, if not this, then what? Just bitching about it isn't really a solution. And I saw a lot of people coming up with sort of tweaks or, you know, coming up with, with things like, you know, suggestion boxes or ways of giving feedback or different things like that to try to mitigate some of the downside of these very high, highly stacked hierarchies. Eventually, actually, it was my father who recommended that I contact Rachel. And when I realized what she had, when I realized that she had figured out a complete replacement for hierarchy, I was very excited because here, in fact, was something that could do that, right? Here's something that could replace hierarchy with something fundamentally different. And what I realized and when I saw this was I thought, wow, you know, it's, we're so used to hierarchy. We use it for everything. We're so used to it that it never occurs to us to ask the question, is this the structure we should use in this situation? Yes or no? Mm -hmm. Is it appropriate? Mm -hmm. Yes or no? Yeah, and, and, and th there's nothing else that's true. Like, you know, you, you don't become a carpenter with only a screwdriver, for example, right? You don't assume that a screwdriver is going to work in 100% of situations, right? right. So in, in the same way, it's like, why would we assume hierarchy would work for everything? Sure, sure. And it's strange that someone who, who came out of the military would be one of the ones for the light bulb to go on because... If there's, a, if there's ever a place where there's no even thought or consciousness around the alternative, it's there. Yeah, and, and, and let me say in, 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 the, in the military, I was actually very happy. I was a happy hierarch. <laughs> I was a commanding <laughs> officer. I had like, you know, eight, five people working for me. I had several salt craft at one point and, and, and it, was, it was actually going well. And, and one of the things I've realized uh, from that experience was I've seen hierarchy work properly. And I see what businesses do with hierarchy and they're not using hierarchy the way it was designed. They're doing something else. Right. Um, and it actually makes the hierarchy way less effective to use it the way business does versus the way the military does. Now, people in business would say, and rightly so, well, we don't want to be the military. We don't want to do it that way. It's like, okay, good. That's fine. 
then don't use hierarchy because that's how it's supposed sure, to work. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> when I was in the Marines about 35 years ago, briefly, and there was a little glimmer of the, you know, a captain giving a lieutenant something to do and then staying at it, like just leaving. So there was, there was this little glimmer way back then of, of collaboration. You get to see what it looks like on a good day, right? When it's being right. used properly. Exactly. <laughs> so that leads, Rachel, was there any thing as you formed this system, as you, as you codified it, was there anything in maybe in history or in the natural world or, or anything that modeled lit your way a little bit? Oh, absolutely. You know, we like to say that we're built on the shoulders of giants or that we built this on the shoulders of giants. And we did, you know, there's not a whole lot that is completely unfamiliar as people go through the training. And yet there are some original and new components and the way we've assembled them is original and new such that it all comes together in a really integrated fashion, you know, truly as a system. Uh, I like to say that, that we don't, that hierarchy is actually not a system, but it's a structure we use as a system. Tim thinks, and I'm, I'm starting to agree with him, that at least in the military, that's not the case. In the military, the structure does function as a system, but certainly in business, it does appear to be that it's a structure being used as a system, and therein lies the problem, lots of unintended consequences and suboptimal byproducts uh, come off of that. But yes, we have assembled this using a lot of best practices and then converting them so that they conform to the principles of the collaborative operating system, which are ownership and alignment. And we always contrast that with the values of hierarchy, which are power and authority. So no matter what tool you're using in a hierarchy, it tends to get driven out of these values for power and authority. And so we would adapt these really otherwise very good tools and show people how to use them with the principles of ownership and alignment at the forefront. And this would transform people's experience of these tools, and it would transform the way people used the tools, right? They were using them to build ownership and alignment with other people rather than to try to, you know, wield power over them. And uh, this, this created a sweeping change in the workplaces where we tested it. And you know, more and more we begin to see, oh, this really works. When you start using the principles of ownership and alignment with these tools and revamping them according to these uh, principles, this, this works. Yeah. Can you go into a little about what particular way the concept of ownership is being implemented with this? Sure. So uh, the definition that we use for ownership is that I feel that this thing is mine, this decision, this outcome, this strategic plan, whatever it is, is mine. And so the way we implement everything is so that the stakeholders feel that it is theirs. Mm. And when we do that, when they have a great stake in something and they have a high degree of ownership, uh, they take care of it. People take care of what they own and they see to it that whatever it is, it's a success. The project, the meeting, the 
you know, decision to hire thus and such person. Uh, we're going to make that person successful because we had a hand in determining that they would be hired, for example. Right. Mm -hmm. What What does the, well, authority figure or manager do at that point if when when the ownership has been implemented down or is 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 there a down and up tim i'm gonna, I'm uh, gonna short pivot. answer no <laughs> okay so i mean you could do it that way but that that's not the way the system is meant and and the up and down is the source if you think about it in a hierarchy of the low ownership right in that i come up with a dis i perceive a problem as your superior officer right i come up with a solution i give you an order telling you to go solve this problem and so that very feature right there of how hierarchy is designed to work ensures that your ownership of that decision and of your implementation of that decision are low does that make sense right he told me to do x yep. is not a high ownership frame it's a low ownership frame. it's, it's a leased car <laughs> exactly <laughs> this is my car but well, well, or, or a rented car you're gonna have it for the weekend gonna wash it before you return it i love sure. that one Rachel pointed out in my training, she says, people don't wash rental cars. And I was like, you know what? She's right. They don't. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> it's their job because it's their car. Not even in Belize or Costa Rica where it's brown at the end. <laughs> so now if we want to make it a high ownership thing, I can't come to the conclusion on my own and expect you to implement it with the same fervor that you would if it were your decision. Which means now I have to include you in the process of deciding, oh, do you perceive this problem the same way I do? Okay, good. Let's talk about that. Let's come up with a solution. All right. I'm thinking you should implement that. Do you agree? Yes. Okay. Now when you go off to do it, your experience is we decided, right? We perceived, we concluded, we decided, and now I'm going to go do the thing that we agreed on. And now there's the high thing. And, and this is, right, this is how we explain to people in the training is that people indicate with their language whether they feel ownership of something automatically and instantly. It's your meeting, it's your decision, low ownership language, right? They want us to low ownership language. I or we have determined that, we decided that, our plan is to, that's all high ownership language. But by the very nature and structure of hierarchy, we're constantly asking people to do things that they have very low ownership of. And then being punitive towards them if they perform poorly at the stuff that they don't really care about. Yeah, but the, the underlying desire is not there because it's not theirs. Before we go to alignment, how does it work if you go into a company? Like, when do you enter companies? I, I can't imagine a top-down authoritative hierarchy and then all of a sudden go in and try to make it a new thing in a couple of weeks. So is, is there a company profile that's best for this system to move in and work? Well, I'll start out and let Tim finish. I, sadly, we get called in when the plane is going down in flames uh, because they haven't been able to make their hierarchical approach work. That's the bad news, but it's also the good news because that's where we really shine and it's where, you know, we can kind of demonstrate, well, that didn't work and this is working splendidly. And a great example of that is actually here in North Carolina, <clears throat> Governor Purdue, uh, when she was governor a few years back, she uh, assembled all these uh, alternative energy 
folks and ask them to write a plan and to align together. And I mean, we're talking 40 or 50 people from all the different energy sectors to align on what would be and submit something that would be a good uh, energy policy from North Carolina. You know, they were, these teams were going down in flames. They were competing over who was going to provide what. And um, these were cross-functional teams that the people had only ever met each other in court prior to uh, working on this project. And so, you know, it was kind of set up from the beginning. The, the problem was uh, deeply sown. And it was kind of tricky at first because we really did have to start the teams over. But once they got going using this, they realized, you know, we don't have a chance without this because none of us report to any of us. And so we've got to make this work. So there was a, a high degree of uh, will and uh, intent for this to work, and, and it worked beautifully. And to this day, you know, the various different energy sector people know each other on a first name basis. They have lunch with each other when they're in town. And um, yeah. So it was like building a new building without having to work around the skeleton of the old one, or because there was no established hierarchy. Yeah. So you didn't have to do a demolition where what it controlled, controlled physical demolition. Is that? <laughs> I told him about controlled psychic demolition. Oh, on the <laughs> That's great. You know, I was explaining that, yeah. you know, to deconstruct a paradigm, sure. you often have to do a little controlled psychic demolition. And Is that in a person or in a company or both? Both. So, so th think about it this way, Tom. So everyone knows that if you're going to organize people, that you have to organize them hierarchically. And that means that somebody has to be in charge. And everybody knows that if there isn't one person who's accountable, nothing will get done. Well, how do we know that? We know that because that's a belief that we all carry around our heads because it was explained to us when we were young. And we see it reinforced over and over again because everyone's using hierarchy. Well, that's just as true as that everyone knew a thousand years ago that the earth was flat. Right. So, I mean, people tend to perceive reality through the lens of the belief they already have. And so it, from within the existing paradigm, of course, it has to be hierarchical. If you're outside of it, it's like, well, no, it's not. <laughs> I mean, just the fact that it's always been done that way doesn't mean it needs to be and doesn't mean it's the best idea either. Right. So so that that's what she's referring to is that that people often, especially leaders, wind up going through a personal journey as part of this transformation of their organizational system because they start to see how attached they are to the old way of doing things and the power drives that they weren't even necessarily conscious of or the sense of identity that they get from having this hierarchical power and that sort of challenges their worldview right and and for that reason that the, what rachel said is true that sometimes they have to be fairly desperate in order to be willing to try something truly different. Now, trying it, by the way, doesn't necessarily mean, like you said, well, it doesn't have to be a top to bottom complete. No, no it doesn't, right? They might try it for one project, like this being an example, what Rachel just said. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that the government of North Carolina thereafter was structured according to the collaborative operating system. That was a single project to produce a single output that right. used that system. And that's frequently what happens. They have a problem, or a meeting or a project or a team or something like that, where it's like we this one time, we know that the way we do it won't work. We're looking for an alternative. 
Okay, we know because we've tried it before. Or we can read the tea leaves and when you're looking ahead, it, it looks very ugly. So you get a system like this to produce that one outcome. It is also possible, and some leaders elect to, convert the whole system from top to bottom to use this instead of hierarchy. But that's usually after they've already tried it on several things like this before they take that step. I want to say that there's an, a, a growing group of leaders that are different from what Rachel's describing. What she's saying is has been true for a long time, that sufficient desperation will create motivation to try something different, right? <laughs> but the other group of leaders that's growing as time goes on is a group of leaders who naturally see the limitations of hierarchy and don't want to be confined by those limitations anymore. And they do things like attend conscious capitalism conferences and read reinventing organizations and stuff like that. And they're, they're tinkering, they're playing around, they're messing with their own system, trying to get it to work better. And they're actively looking for a better way. And those are the other people who the plane's not burning, it's not going down. They just want a spaceship instead of a plane. Right. right. Are we talking about the, the, the person you described, is that always the CEO or sometimes somebody in the middle of an organization, if the organization's sufficiently open to it? Like, what do you, what do you see as far as, um, as far as like, what, what calls do you get? Who adopts this? Yeah. So, you know, it just depends. And it's everybody. I mean, it's somebody down in the organization running a project team, or it's an individual contributor that walked into a meeting and saw, saw collaboration happening, saw the COS in action and said, how did you learn to do this? Uh, in one instance, and this was uh, at Burt's Bees, actually, the, the CEO called me in because he had a sustainability uh, director reporting to him. She was a frontline person and she was responsible for a lot of sustainability goals that none of the other senior team members wanted to implement because it was gonna cost them time and money and they didn't perceive any return on investment for it. And so, you know, he didn't really understand what the problem was. She's not working well with her peers. Well. You know, that's the last thing on earth that was true because, in fact, she was naturally a very collaborative person. Uh, she just didn't have this system, but she was re uh, quite relationship-oriented. And uh, I pointed out to him, you know, she can't make them do anything. And you're thinking that she can somehow, but, but that's within your purview only on this frontline team of yours. And once he understood that, he was like, wow, well, what can we do? And I said, let's teach her a little collaborative operating system and see what happens. And within several months, you know, she had transformed her ability to achieve the goals she had through the various leaders that sat on the senior leadership team with her. It's great. And we've seen other examples of that, Tom, like in government or something where it's you know, very, very non highly bureaucratic and, you know, entrenched where individuals who learn the collaborative operating system are then able to operate inside of a larger system using those tools mm -hmm. to produce results that others cannot. Clearly, if someone isn't the CEO or something like that, they then don't have the authority to decide that the entire system is going to transform, but that doesn't prevent them from using it in a variety of ways. Occasionally, we have a CEO or a consultant who's working with a CEO take the training or something like that, and that can result in a decision by the leader to say, 
okay, we've tried this on three different things and every time it works better than anything we've ever seen. Yeah. Why aren't we doing this all the time? And just decide hierarchically to change the whole system over to this other. This is kind of a weird question. Can a manager in the middle of an organization implement at first down the org chart and have great results like in, you know, in a little pocket in a company and the higher ups not even know what, like, I don't know what's going on, but it's better. Mm -hmm. Short answer. Yes. It's a little tricky. It, it's not very sustainable because if that one manager gets hit by a truck and someone else gets hired into that spot, it's gone the next day. And that has happened actually. Um, but people can and do use it within a larger system. You just have to be careful about the interface between if you're using two different systems is this kind of boundary between the two that you have to manage carefully. Otherwise you can, uh, you could have both of them independently working fine and then a high degree of confusion at the place where they join together if you're not careful about that. And my personal opinion is if I were that manager saying, okay, everyone who works for me is going to be doing it this way, there would need to be some ground rules that we agree upon about that. Like, as we're not going to make the rest of the company wrong for not doing what we're doing right. and we're going to play well with others and help the rest of the system to function because we're the ones who decided to change. Right. So right. we can't just say, Oh, well, you don't understand collaboration. Like that, that's not a fair complaint when they weren't consulted and aren't involved. Like we have to present them as internal customers with what they need in order to function. So I've seen that happen. Like, with one nonprofit I created that's a, that's a, um, it's fiscally sponsored. It's a project within a larger nonprofit. And that one project runs using the collaborative operating system and the rest of the nonprofit is hierarchical. And at the boundary, there's someone whose role it is to make sure that the larger system gets what it needs and the interface looks like a hierarchical interface <laughs> to the rest of the company so it doesn't create confusion upstream. Does yeah. that make sense? I, I, I think I could see that. The, I just started um, on the course, on the collaborative, collaborative operating system course, and one of the first things we heard about was the Johnsonville sausage situation. And, you know, the, the, the boss was like, I don't want to know what's going on. And I could see in that scenario we were just running that the person who implemented the system is at the meeting with all the other managers and they're like, what's going on? I don't know. It's like, oh, well, that's, that's a problem. What do you mean you don't know? Right. So, so the, the marquee Silicon Valley companies that get all kinds of credit for their culture, Google and Facebook, and to what degree are they involved or implementing parts of this or are they getting kudos for their culture because of foosball tables and you know free soda or are they catching on i don't really know the answer to that we have trained people at those companies but uh, i'm under no illusion that the collaborative operating system is alive and well there tim yeah i, I actually have some colleagues who work in some of those companies and it, it's interesting so so google for example google is actually a very good example that they actually study culture and they study teams and they study what works and so for example they did this big study of all these teams and concluded that the factor in common between the teams that were high performing versus the ones that were low was something called psychological safety 
thing. That's an important result. And now they're looking at, okay, how do we create psychological safety in teams? That's a great question, right? right. Um, so so the, I think those companies are doing real work. And part of what's happening is that they're being led to individual piecemeal conclusions that the collaborative operating system would say, right? So if, for example, now back to, you know, so now I'm a manager at Google and they say to me, oh, by the way, here's this research. Now you have to create psychological safety in your team and I'm going to need to get trained in how to do that. Well, as a manager of that team, I could accidentally through a single misstep destroy the psychological safety of that team without even knowing I had done so right? And if you're on the receiving end of that kind of thing, it's obvious. But if you're on the delivering end of it, you might have no idea whatsoever, right? That you just, for example, say to people, oh, by the way, we're gonna have to work this weekend or something like that. Or you make a comment about a project that was completed recently or something that has some massive emotional impact on the people that you have no idea about. Do you know what I'm talking about, Tom? This kind of thing happens all the time. And now I'm screwed. As the manager, I'm screwed. Because no one's going to tell me I made this mistake. The psychological safety has gone. They're all going to talk to each other about it, but no one's going to tell me. And now all my efforts from that point forward to create psychological safety are going to fail, and I don't know why. Uh, yeah. Okay. So it, 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 there's this situation, if you're using hierarchy, that it's kind of set up to work against you in a certain way. If that were a team using COS, as soon as I did that, we would already have an agreement in place where everyone would know exactly how to confront me about it because I had previously agreed, as we all had, to communicate in this fashion when something like that happened. And three different people would come to me and say, oh, by the way, Tim, you really stuck your foot in it at that meeting. You're going to need to go apologize to some people. Right. And they know that you're going to take it the right way. Right. That's right. Because I've already agreed to. And additional safety factor in that system, I wouldn't have the authority to do something stupid over everyone's objections, Mm. Mm. (laughs) right? So they could even block me from doing the thing at all, much less proposing it, right? So now we have a, a, a circumstance that promotes psychological safety by preventing the things that will undermine it, rather than relying on one person to somehow magically know what that is for everybody, right? right? So, so there's a way in which in our modern culture, right, with the business culture, we're setting up the hierarchical leaders to fail because the list of expectations of what they should be doing and what they should know and what they should be able to do is getting longer every year to the point where the odds of any individual human being succeeding at all of that stuff is practically zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I remember a client bringing me a job description. I read through it and said, oh my gosh, this is Jesus Christ. And uh, that, that is just about where we've come to in terms of, and I think it's because the need is so great in, you know, in a hierarchy, we need so many skills to kind of make up for the fact that we don't have a real system, at least not an explicit one. Mm. Well, say more about explicit versus implicit and, you know, how you use it in the system and also how do you implement it? You know, when we try to help people start to grok the paradigm that hierarchy is, we, we contrast hierarchy with the COS. That's a nice way of helping people begin to make sense of this. So uh, one of the things we say is that hierarchy is largely implicit. 
And by that, we mean that the rules are not really known. There is that one rule we all know, which is manage up, keep your boss happy, keep the people above you happy. Um, but beyond that, the rules vary greatly from one leader to the next. Uh, the collaborative operating system, by contrast, is fully explicit. And the rules are known by everyone because everyone made the rules. So we have these templates, if you will, that people go through and use, uh, if they choose, in order to create the structure that's going to work in their particular situation, uh, including rules for how we're going to work together, for example. How do you implement it on a team? Because I know that I've had some experience with trying to implement it and it's like, oh yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, we're gonna do that. And then it's not done, so. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll let yeah. Tim answer that. Sure, so let, let me just say a little bit more about the implicit and explicit first. So uh, I was just, as Rachel was talking, I was reminded of one of, the, one of the organizations I worked in at Oracle Corporation where I came in, started working for a new uh, VP I hadn't worked for before. And it took a little, he, he joined the organization and started running it. It took us a little while to figure it out. Turns out that with this guy, last person to talk to him wins. <laughs> in terms of decision making right mm -hmm. now he didn't tell us that we figured this out by trial and error mm -hmm. and yeah. now you get all this jockeying by everyone to make sure as you're looking at the calendar that you're going to be the last one he speaks to on that particular issue and of course someone well, else is trying to get themselves after that that works at high le high levels of government too uh, mm -hmm. these days sure yeah at very high levels <laughs> so so that and, and and there's this whole thing about trying to figure out think about when you get hired on a new organization they give you the employee manual which says how it's supposed to work do you have any illusions that that's exactly how things work or might they work differently than that in practice even though that's what's being you know suggested as the ideal and now you're kind of scoping around trying to figure out where the landmines are and where the power is and what you're allowed and not allowed to do in this culture can i make a decision you know is that okay or not you know right. and so this is the implicit thing that rachel's talking about right so in the collaborative operating system, if let's say a given team is going to convert, right, what we would do is we'd say, okay, we'll, we'll pick a topic that needs to be handled, like let's say decision-making. So remember you asked if there was an up and a down and the answer was no, right. which means that there's not a manager who can say we're going to go left and expect that to be absolutely carried out because that wouldn't be collaborative. That would be hierarchical, right? right. So if we're not going to do that, what are we going to do instead? And now the team has to work together to construct an agreement about how we make decisions. Mm -hmm. And they're not done until everybody on the team says, yes, that's right. I agree. Uh-huh. Yep. That, that's how we, that's exactly how we should do it. Right. Yeah. Typically takes about for a given agreement, usually a few hours, like half a day or something like that. Maybe a little more, maybe a little less. Um, but now, now people start to feel clarity. When they encounter a situation, they know exactly what they're allowed to do or not allowed to do or who they have to involve if they want to make a decision. And this is different. This is, so this is something called organizational clarity. There's this, I wish I could remember the name of the company that created this whole survey. And what, one of the things they're testing for is what's the level of organizational clarity in this company? Meaning, do you know where you fit into the machine? Do you know what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do? What you have the authority to make decisions about what you don't? If that's low, 
then people take their foot off the gas. It interferes with their motivation. If it's high, they step on the gas and they move forward because they know they're safe doing stuff because they know how the rules work and how they fit in. The problem is that business generally has low organizational clarity. And the reason is that people in the military, it's high because they write everything down, right? If you're in this position at this rank with this thing on your shoulder, here's the stuff you're allowed to do. It's very clear. And it never changes. Well, act of Congress or something. <laughs> it changes occasionally, but it's, everyone knows. <laughs> so, so they, so they, you know, if they change it, they publish it, right? Here's the list of new rules or whatever. Yep. So, so it's all very, very, very explicit. But in business, they don't. They're not trying to do that. What they're trying to do is collaborate within a hierarchical structure. And one of the side effects of that is low clarity. People don't know what decisions they're allowed to make and what decisions they have to ask permission for and what decisions are going to be made by a group versus an individual. And so as a result, they're not stepping down on the gas as hard as they could, driving towards the outcome because they're uncertain. Right, right. So explicit drives the system by its nature. That makes sense. Yeah, so, so if we make it explicit, people are clear, they know what they're allowed to do and not to, allowed to do, they feel safer making decisions, taking risks, trying to achieve outcomes and stuff like that. And then we add to that what Rachel was talking about earlier, where they feel ownership of those rules because they created them, and now they feel even more motivated. Yeah, and I'll just tie this. I mean, your, your last guest talked about a strong culture is one in which the rules are clear, they're known, people understand them. And uh, that is certainly the true uh, state of things in, the, in a collaborative operating system because the employees have made the rules themselves. Now, I think he also said that you could have a strong culture and it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's um, a healthy culture like a psychologically or spiritually healthy culture, for example. Um, but in, in the COS, we are building healthy cultures. Uh, that is part of what the system is designed to do. Right. Psychologically, right. Uh, spiritually, socially, morally, intellectually. Emotionally. Emotionally. We're hitting, we're hitting all the, the top line important things for people that are trying to develop themselves, trying to pursue this uh, human development journey, this archetypal thing, yeah. And, and as in any self-organizing system, when people hit something that they deem is not healthy, in a good self-organizing system, they'd go, wait a minute, look at that. That's not working. That's not healthy. And then the system gives them the power to work together to fix it. To clean it up. Yep, makes sense. As opposed to in a hierarchy, we are hoping that someone who has enough authority will notice it and deem it worthy of their attention. Dad. Hoping dad will fix it. So to give another kudo to our last guest, he taught me a phrase. It was Keith Marin. He taught me a phrase, bend it to a close. I don't know. Tim, you probably taught him that. But, can't but, can't uh, claim that one. <laughs> but, I, but I think we're, we're at about the time of the podcast. So I'm going to bend this to a close. And um, I think we're poised to just start it back up for round two. So Fantastic. this is a wrap on this one. And um, thank you very much. We'll see you in two weeks. Thank you for listening to the Key to Culture podcast, sponsored by Quantius, the premier marketing agency for emerging technology. Quantius, smart, fast, curious.